Let's welcome back to the VIN podcast a very special guest, renowned attorney Avi Schick, who I call the go-to attorney for the firm community. Avi joins us today to discuss the new equivalency guidelines targeting yeshivas. Mr. Schick is a former deputy AG. His illustrious list of clients include high-profile businesses, senior government officials, political parties, and large nonprofits, many more. Uh, Mr. Schick, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Before we get to the guidelines themselves, what did you think of last week's New York Times hit piece, which has gotten a huge amount of attention? Well, I, th- I think it was a, uh, a horrible piece of journalism and a horrible, unfounded attack on, on the from community. And, and let me explain. Um, you know, the Times talks about a year-long investigative report. Um, at bottom, you know, what they reported was that you know, having obtained the test scores of uh, on the state test on the state assessment tests of many Hasidisha and other schools, they were reporting on the worst 12 scores among those schools. They didn't identify the schools. Now, um, I'm sure the worst 12 schools need improvement. The worst 12 schools of any system need improvement, right? The the problem was that they used those schools um, to be representative of an entire community, and even worse than that. They used um, anecdotal and isolated stories to paint a, a really skewed and, and inaccurate picture of, uh, of the community. Individuals, I'm not questioning whether an individual had a certain experience or not, and if an individual has pain or not. Certainly anybody who has a bad experience, anybody who experienced pain, you know, you know, should be heard. But you can't take isolated stories and say that represents the community as opposed to an aberration. So the Times felt comfortable saying corporal punishment today is common in yeshivas. The Times tried to paint yeshivas as dangerous places um, by pointing to a dozen 911 calls over five years across hundreds of schools. Frankly, again, without details of the stories, there may be bad incidents there. If there were bad incidents, they shouldn't have happened. They should be addressed. Times doesn't really say if anything was validated, but a dozen calls over five years, which means two to three calls a year um, across hundreds of schools, doesn't sound like the basis for an indictment. It actually sounds like a, a pretty good record, right. um, and it shows that a system is 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 working well. But but the Times' goal was to to to, to paint a horrible picture of this community and to. Uh, to say we're really beyond the pale, right? You know, and then they followed up with asking politicians, you talk with them, how should you punish them? You know, they're, they're trying to, to, to make the social community for sure the untouchables of American society, where it's, you know, improper to deal with them. It's improper to get their votes. It's improper to talk to them. It's improper to represent them, right? That's not a legitimate effort to um, talk about wrongdoing. That's an illegitimate effort to stigmatize and delegitimize an entire community. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, th- this was designed, essentially, it was agreed just to spread hatred. And th- then they have the audacity to claim that they're out for the best interest. They're out to help Hasidim, but they manipulated the data, as you pointed out. Anecdotal evidence, by their own admission, they interviewed hundreds of people, let alone the tens of thousands of people who if they spoke to would be tell them they were very, very happy and pleased with the system. And they like quoted like three or four anecdotes. And they also focused on the billion dollars or so that uh, I guess Hasidish yeshivas have gotten from the government, which is actually a very, when you do the math and compare it to how much the public schools get and you do it per student, it actually is a very minute amount. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the figures, uh, again, they never really fess up to um, 
you know which schools they're talking about or or what undergirds the whatever statistics they use but but a uh, billion dollars over five years is two hundred million dollars a year uh, of course they chose covid years um, right. for performance they stopped at 2019 for funding because they wanted to get covid years they went up to the present um, and 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 you know a, a large part of what they counted was nutrition aid, whether it's a free breakfast that's almost entitled to or kids entitled to or lunch. Um, it's a strange way to to to, to uh, make believe you're showing empathy empathy toward a certain community or certain children in that community by um, by trying to uh, to um, convey that it is inappropriate for the government, you know, to uh, to pay for their uh, for their lunch or their or breakfast if they're entitled to it. Um, those two things are at odds, right? And uh, in, in fact, generally, um, when the Times sees a population that it um, thinks is uh, is ill-served, whether it's in the public schools or whether it's other communities in other contexts, right? The call is always for more funding, right? If government would just do more. Um, the people would have better lives. Here it's the opposite, right? It's um, under the guise of, quote-unquote, caring for them. Um, they say, stop the funding. Don't listen to their needs. Don't service them. And so I think that exposes what the Times is really at here. Right, that's true. It's such hypocrisy. And before we get to the actual guidelines, one final question. You kind of alluded to this, but what is the real motivation of the Times, in your opinion? I really think that they believe that the citizen probably, and when they say citizen community, that was the immediate target. But but let's be honest: if anybody thinks that the Times can differentiate between a Hasidic yid who's wearing, you know, one kind of hat, and uh, you know, a literature yid uh, or a literature is wearing, you know, a frock and a different kind of hat, right. yeah, yeah, we're deluding ourselves. Um, our lives uh, and and. In some instances, our values are, are different than the mainstream, and the Times is offended by that. It's offended by our continued growth and existence in America and in New York, even though we we stick to to values that are are not modern but are timeless. And so, again, I mean, really, if one if one looks closely at what the Times did in a follow up article with a called around the politicians, and again today, in today's New York Times, there's an editorial, and they go elected official by elected official, what they said when the Times called them about, you know, the kind of punishment they think and penalties they think should be imposed, huh. right? They're not, that's not reporting. That's advocacy. They are trying to ensure that elected officials keep a distance from a large community. Um, and it's a dangerous thing if we let that pass uh, unchecked. Very well said. And as you pointed out, they have no idea the difference. This is an attack on all Haredim because, yeah, to the outside world, uh, those minute differences, at least to them, between someone in Lakewood or Shiva in Lakewood and, 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 and a Hasidic Shiva in Monroe, they're not noticing. We actually spoke with Dov Heiken, and he even took it a step further. He said you know, that to the haters out there, they see this as an excuse to hate, and they don't go to Manhattan. And uh, you know, maybe there are, it's harder for them to identify certain Jews versus other Jews because of the garb. But to many, many haters, this is an attack on all Jews. Yeah, certainly, you know, it, it's one of the strange things. They, um, they, um, they talk simultaneously about how the Jewish community is sort of backwards and, and poor and can't take care of itself. And then again, later they say, you know, how powerful they are and how elected officials are in this way. Right. Um, and of course, you know, we've all experienced, we've all read about, we've all seen, we all know somebody who knows somebody 
who has been the subject of, a, of an attack. Sometimes it's verbal, but way too often in the last few years is a physical attack from people getting beaten. We're the only people who are simultaneously getting beaten on the streets with impunity and yet are supposedly uh, incredibly powerful. Strange thing. Yeah, unbelievable. Now, I do want to get to the actual regulations themselves. I would think you're the most qualified person on the planet uh, to offer your analysis. The state asked for public comments from parents, and they got, what, over 200,000 comments completely ignored them. So, number one, were you surprised that the comments were ignored? And doesn't this show that the state was planning to pass this no matter what they heard back, no matter what the feedback, they really didn't care? Well, yeah, first of all, it, it was over 300,000 comments that okay, were submitted. Wow. So it really was an incredible uh, a number of, of comments that were submitted. And it certainly is, is disappointing that the uh, um, the state made uh, almost no changes and, and really no changes of great consequence um, regarding the uh, the core instructional requirements and the impact that it would have on on yeshivas. I think, you know, the some of the newspaper reports uh, made it very clear what, what we know all along which is that this is an effort targeted at yeshivas. State's careful not to say that, but every newspaper headline when the uh, uh, regulations were, were voted in on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, uh, the newspaper headlines all got it exactly right, which is that state education, uh, Board of Regents adopts um, regulations, you know, to uh, impact yeshiva education or the like. That's not an exact quote, but but they all put in Hasidic or yeshiva education um you know, just uh, exposing uh, what we all knew, which is that these are not some even-handed things across all private schools, but are targeted to the yeshiva community. Right. Um, it, it, so, yes, but and it was disappointing that, uh, you know, there were many um, excellent, intelligent, thoughtful comments. There were comments that gave um, concrete proposals, that gave suggestions, um, that gave, you know, a path to a solution. And those were all uniformly ignored. Right. Now, the regulations themselves, um, and and we already, some of these are kind of what was expected. You and I spoke several months ago when they released like an outline. So, number one, just what's your analysis? Uh, how much authority would this give these, these LSAs uh, to actually just walk into a yeshiva and to just completely, you know, overhaul their curriculum or you know, intrude on their curriculum? Do we know how many hours they can force them to teach secular study, what kind of power they would have. Can you just describe that? Yeah, so, so first of all, the, these regulations that were adopted last week were, were pretty much identical to what was um, released in March. March was a, wasn't an outline. It was fully formed regulation. There were a couple of changes. Again, not, not, not really changes that you know, went to the core issues that were so troubling to us here. Um, f- fundamentally, you know, the, the regulations are problematic for, for, you know, for a variety of reasons. I, I think first and foremost is, you know, after 125 years of, uh, of the substantial equivalent standard being on the books in New York, um, for the first time now, what, what the state is saying is that local school districts will affirmatively, you know, go into yeshivas and will rule, will determine um, whether they are or aren't equivalent, which means whether they can or cannot legally exist. Um, that's new ground um, because until this point, it worked, you know, sort of on complaint system. Right? Parents choose these schools. These schools, unlike the public schools, these schools cannot exist unless the yeshivas meeting and other private schools can't exist unless parents 
affirmatively choose to send their child there, to enroll them there, to pay for the education there. And so that's a pretty good marketplace check on whether the yeshivas are, are, are providing the education that the parents are paying for. Um, beyond that, then there is the, you know, the ability to, uh, to make a complaint. And it wasn't so many years ago, five, six years ago, where until then the, uh, the state education department's public guidance to uh, local school districts, to LSAs, local school authorities, said that, number one, um, you, LSA, don't have direct authority over private schools. And number two, you know, if there's a complaint, this is how you should go about investigating it. Um, these regulations turned it on its head by saying LSA, you know, instead of the assumption being that the school is equivalent unless there's a complaint, it's now the school has to prove to you affirmatively that, that it's equivalent to exist. So that's really the biggest problem, right? It's now the state handing out licenses, and we all know bureaucracies go over time, they don't shrink, and today there's one set of requirements, and in the future there'll only be, you know, greater, more intrusive requirements. So that's that's the first problem. Right. Beyond that, um, you know, one of the uh, elements of an LSA review is that they um, should ascertain, should 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 judge the competence of the teachers. Now, you know, it doesn't say they have to be certified. Um, private school teachers don't have to be certified by the state, but the LSA is not really well positioned to, you know, make a judgment of whether uh, a teacher hired by yeshiva is competent, right? You know, the, the yeshiva um, has its set of values, has its set of goals, has its mission. Um, and to have government come in and say, we don't like your teacher is really unprecedented and, uh, and terribly problematic. And then third, the, um, um, the list, of course, is everybody likes to talk about, you know, math, English, reading and writing, um, and uh, uh, arithmetic. And, and, of course, there's a pretty broad consensus, right, that, that you know, school children across all schools should, should leave with, with those fundamentals um, in place. But these regulations go well beyond that. Um, and there's, uh, you know, probably close to 20 different um, areas, 20 different uh, instructional requirements. Um, citizenship, patriotism, which, I mean, you could say who cares, but that goes into values issues. And why is the LSA coming in to decide whether we're, you know, making patriotic citizens, right? Um, right. It, it, it goes to, to you know, it, it goes to things that are just sort of weird, like... Um, the purpose, meaning, history, and effect of the Constitution of the State of New York and the amendments thereto. I mean, there's no law school in New York that teaches that. <laughs> and the idea that that you know they're going to come, LSAs are going to come into yeshivas and say, sixth grade kid, you know, talk about the amendments to the New York State Constitution. Actually, over the last few months, I've uh, I've quizzed several New York law professors um, who I know. Wow. And saying, tell me what you know about the New York State Constitution. They looked at me blankly, like <laughs> we know it exists. <laughs> um, and I said, well, you know, you, you know, soon you won't make it in the yeshiva because yeshivas are going to have to teach this. And they look at me like they think I'm making it up. Now, again, you can say who cares, right? So let's do it, make the government happy. Um, but the point is these lists don't end. You know, you must teach in elementary school hands-on cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Now, again, you could argue the yeshiva could say they want to teach CPR. They could say they want to do it in high school, much later grades. You know, it's just a strange idea that you can't have a parochial school in New York. You can't have a yeshiva in New York if you don't teach these things. And so, you know, it's it, it's just, a, a you know, it, it, it's a precedent that says the state bureaucrats, you know, um, can decide what yeshiva teaches. Essentially, you know, the LSA is going to be handed a list, that a checklist, that was created by a government lawyer in Albany, 
And uh, in turn, it was handed to a government bureaucrat at the LSA who's going to come into the yeshiva and, and start checking boxes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's, it's bad now. It's going to get worse. And, and the odd thing is, the odd thing is, right, if you look at all the exemptions that exist, which will cover many yeshivas, um, like if you're a region school, it's called a registered high school. If you're a region school, your high school, and you're, if there's an attached elementary school, you're exempt. And everybody knows the regions don't cover any of these peripheral subjects, right? The regions don't cover the, hist- the history, purpose, meaning, and effect of the New York Constitution or hands-on cardiopulmonary resuscitation or anything like that. If you're accredited, you're exempt. Accreditation doesn't cover that. So in, 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 in the insane way that government operates, the only schools in New York that are going to be held to account about whether they teach these things are yeshivas. <laughs> um, and, and, that's a really and, great point. And that, that's just, it's, it's just nuts. So on that note, uh, you know, a couple of follow-ups, because as you say, the, the real terrifying part is bureaucracies only get bigger. This is not the end of the road. If, if these are actually do go into effect, this is the beginning. So could they potentially – this is, I think, the fears of a lot of parents, including myself – could they potentially shut down yeshivas? Could they put parents in jail who are not compliant, which has been suggested? Uh, and also, uh, as you say, you know, some people will think, okay, well, Hasidic yeshivas are certainly in trouble, and that's something a, a big concern. Litvish yeshiva high schools, many of them have a regents program, but are they in any danger of future regulations once you know once the government steps in and intrudes? And like even elementary schools, you know, Litvish elementary schools that are not like attached to, to any regents uh, program. A couple of points there. I mean, the answer is that, you know, we can't ignore a recent experience. And the recent experience was when when New York City received a complaint about, you know, uh, about 30 yeshivas, they investigated. And and uh, um, and I hate that word, right, because it's not used anywhere else in education. We can talk about that in a minute. Right. Um, You know, they were not willing to find a single yeshiva equivalent. And I'm talking about yeshivas that will be exempt under these regulations, yeshivas that have high schools that give regions. When the city came to their elementary school and looked at their program and all the kids speak English, all the teachers speak English, they teach, the kids learn, they go on to their connected high school and take regions. And nevertheless, when, when, when the city came in, they were not willing to find them equivalent because we're different, right? We're so different. We start Limudichol in the afternoons, right? We only, we only, and the Times harped on this, we only teach secular studies four afternoons a week after a long and rigorous religious studies program. That's true, right? That is true. Yeah. Right? Yeshivas, the best of our yeshivas, the best of our yeshivas in terms of Limud Echol, only teach secular studies four afternoons a week after a long, rigorous program of Jewish studies. That ain't gonna change. And, and it's scary to think that, you know, there's already a campaign to, to, to demonize that as part of the times. And it's scary to think that when New York City Education Department came into those yeshivas, and I don't want to name names here, but the yeshiva said you'd be shocked that the city is not willing, has not been willing to find them equivalent um, because they're yeshivas with, with regions high schools. And, uh, and, and so it's, uh, it's uh, the lesson that we need to learn from our experience is that this is problematic. We, we shouldn't be so comfortable and say, oh, we're good and, and we'll be fine. Uh, I mean, the other thing he asked about penalties, and, and it was very dis- disappointing. Um, um, the Friday before the region's vote, so uh, a little over a week ago now, 
the deputy commissioner of the state education department gave a pulp, gave an interview and, you know, talking about the upcoming vote. And instead of focusing on, you know, the educational aspects of it or goal or hope for improvement, he spoke about punishment. He spoke about penalizing schools. He spoke about penalizing parents. And, and that's just so distressing because in no other aspect, no other component of, of the education system is the focus on punishment, right? When you have failing schools elsewhere in other systems and public systems, uh, the talk is not about lawyers and, and law and investigations. It's about support, growth, improvement, right? It's about educators, not about lawyers. Right. And yet here, the framework is about legal context. Are the yeshivas, you know, violating the law? I challenge anybody to look through archives of the Times or any other major paper or statements of, of government officials to see, to find a discussion about a failing public school talked about in the context of violating the law. Um, you know, they talk again about educators coming in to identify problems, to devise solutions, to providing time and resources to get the growth necessary. Yet here they make it about a law enforcement operation. It's, it's, it's really terrible. And it, it, it betrays, I think, what's really going on, right? This is not about hoping for improvement in at least too many government eyes. Can't say everybody, but in too many government eyes. Um, it's, it's, about, it's about punishing. Excellent point. They're literally weaponizing the education system. Absolutely. Now, as you said, the media got this right. This was an attack on Jews. This is not about private schools. This is not about Catholic schools. I mean, they surgically targeted. And I believe that tells us the real motivation behind these regulations. So from a legal standpoint, is it, why is this not or is this just textbook religious discrimination? Listen, I think, you know, um, it, it certainly, you know, is uh, is targeted at the from community. I mean, how to how to best go about. Um, you know, dealing with it in a legal framework is something that obviously people are thinking about and will continue to think about. But but for right now, I think it's important to to spread the word about, you know, what's what's really going on over here. And uh, that's been the the immediate um, that's been the immediate effort. So you don't think or I mean, is, is a lawsuit imminent? I don't know if you're involved in that or not behind the scenes, but uh, you don't think the next step would just be to file a lawsuit. I mean, is there really any other option? And listen, there, there, there are um, strategic questions that one would want to consider um, about what the timing of a lawsuit should be. And uh, because the goal is not just to get a press release, you know, about a lawsuit, the goal is to get a victory. And right. so one wants to think about, you know, one would want to think about that. But I do want to say, you know, um, to, 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 to focus on, you know, go back for a second about the education. I, you know, you asked about comments before. I think it's important to know that, you know, there were efforts, real efforts made to try to, you know, identify, um, you know, a path forward, um, identify a path forward using assessment tests or other things. And uh, and really, there was a closed door in, in government. Um, some of those efforts are, are public in the sense of public comments. Some of them are less public. There was a delegation of Russia Yeshiva that went up. Um, to Albany, to the commissioner, right after Pesach, and had concrete proposals um, in hand. And uh, I, I can tell you that, um, you know, they were uh, 
um, they did not get the reception that they, you know, certainly their proposals did not get the reception that they should have, um, and uh, and no response was really given. But it, it's important for the public to know that um, this wasn't just a question of you know leave us alone. It wasn't just um, people taking absolutist positions. It was there were intelligent efforts to try to you know identify um, ways that would be. Um, you know, far less intrusive for government that would uh, create a pathway for, for many yeshivas, just like the pathways identified and created for all the other segments of the non-public school community. And they were rejected or ignored by the state. Interesting. And finally, I do want to touch on the political side of this. And I think that it may be uh, linked to a broader issue around the country, which is right versus left, which is, you know, parents' rights to decide their own children's education versus the government sort of taking over. And Lee Zeldin, Republican candidate for governor, he's been very outspoken. He has been defending yeshivas. Governor Hochul has been notoriously silent. And I suspect I know, you know, which side, which side of this she is on. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts uh, you know, the from community, we have a big uh, election coming up here in November. And even if you don't get into too many details, but what are your thoughts on the politics of all of this? Listen, I don't want to politicize this. I don't want to make it about, you know, a particular candidate. Um, I do think that um, it's important for the from community to understand that, uh, you know, it, it's up to the community to identify core principles and to communicate clearly that we that we live or die by them. Right. You know, we, we, we are in New York. We're in a society that's far more progressive. We're a minority in this society. And we've become sort of very used to um, we've become very used to putting aside, you know, um, sort of our values um, when they are in, in the electoral or, you know, realm when they're, you know, inconsistent with the values of a larger society. And I think we all understand that. Right. That that, you know, larger society these days. Has uh, has values that are inconsistent with uh, with many Torah values, yeah. and we don't necessarily make that a litmus test. Um, I think this is different. Um, this is you know goes to the core of our existence. This goes to the independence of of our yeshivas. This goes to the ability of parents to control and direct the upbringing of their kids. Um, and if it's this important to us, we need to make sure that we communicate in every way that this is not just like a general society societal value where, you know, the Orthodox community has a more conservative view than the typical New Yorker. Um, this is different. This is personal, and, and this matters, um, and this is a litmus test. And, you know, if, if we, whatever happens in any one election, if, we, if we're not able to, to, to communicate that, if we're not able to stand by and say certain things, you know, um, are, are, are non-negotiable for us, we're going to be in trouble. Very well said. You always do this. You take these like, you know, compelling, controversial things and you, you you have this way of answering, which kind of satisfies everybody. Like you're 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 right. You're grounded. You know, you you, you stick to message. You don't get hyperbolic like I do. So I do appreciate that. And we're going to leave it there. Well, tell my kids, <laughs> you know, I'm joking. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. Renowned attorney, Avishik, uh, a staunch defender of the firm community with all these issues. And, and this has been a riveting conversation. Your analysis is articulate. It's fact based. It's like grounded and irrefutable. I, I find that when I speak with you, you make these very, very fascinating observations and it almost like hits you in the head. Like, why don't I think of that? And we're not hearing them anywhere else. So you're you're living this, you're breathing this. And I'm personally grateful, not just that you spoke with us, but, you know, that, that you are representing our community. 
Thank you. And I know you're busy. All right. My pleasure. Avi Shik, uh, renowned attorney on the Vin News podcast.